Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. All right, this week we're going to be reviewing Sleeping Gods and Wonderland's War. Wonderland's War or Wonderland's War? Wonderland's War. Wonderland's, Wonderland's War. War. Yeah. Wonder- and then we're going to keep on doing that Board Game Shenanigans Top 100 Games of All Time. We're going to be doing 30 through 21. But before we get into any of that, it is... The week of Christmas. Anyone who's out there celebrating anything during the holidays, happy holidays from the Board Game Shenanigans podcast. Yep, happy holidays. Do you like Christmas? Are you a big Christmas fan? I like Christmas. It's fine. I mean, the presents kind of stress me out a little bit. <laughs> it's I'm gonna fine. Be it is fine. What stresses you out about the Christmas present thing? Oh, I hate buying people presents. I just hate it. I'm just not a good gift giver, and I, I, I feel obligated to give people gifts. I, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy anything about it. I much prefer like okay. Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, so what'd you get me? What'd no, you get me nothing. for Christmas? Nothing. I'm a terrible gift giver. You you know I'm not going to get you anything. I'm going to get you. I'll get you a list. I do not want to start getting gifts to anybody because I do not want that. No, I don't want gifts because then I feel obligated to get gifts in return. And I, I don't like it. It's not. It does not bring me joy. It only brings me stress. Wow. That's like that. I couldn't be the exact opposite when it comes to Christmas time, I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of year. I uh, secretly really enjoy Christmas music. A lot of people hate it. A lot of people hate Christmas music, but I... It's it's bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about all that. I <laughs> love Christmas. You want to you hear my top three Christmas songs? Oh, you have a top three Christmas I, songs? I have a top three Christmas songs. Okay. So uh, Christmas song number one. Or let's go three, three, two, one. Okay. All right. So number okay. three, Dominic the donkey, the Italian Christmas, <laughs> Italian I, Christmas donkey. I don't think anybody likes that song. <laughs> eon, eon. That's, that's so good. Do you I sing along it. to it at least? Heck yeah, I do. And I do a little dance. And then uh, song number <laughs> two is I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. Classic. I, I do enjoy that one as a child. So good. So good. And then. You, you still enjoy that one? Are you kidding me? Heck yeah. That's, that song is awesome. And then finally, Feliz Navidad, the best Christmas song ever. Written. I don't know that there's anybody on earth that's going to agree with your top three lists. Oh, I bet there's going to be some Christmas people. Song. They're going to be, yeah. Oh, trust me. There's going to be plenty of people that agree with that list. Are you kidding me? That that list is as good of a list as you could ever come up with. <laughs> At least Christmas shoes isn't on that one. That one's the worst. <laughs> it is. That one's pretty terrible. I don't know. I, I've always enjoyed Christmas. I love giving people gifts. Uh, I love the the ability to go out and find something that I think somebody's going to like and then having them open it and stuff like that. I don't know. It's just a very cool time of year. I don't know. It just there's just something like I hate to like say it's magical, you know, in some stupid way, but it is like for for a lot of reasons, at least for me. So I really enjoy this time of the year. I think it's uh, a good time to sit down with family you know, just enjoy people's company. You can get up Christmas morning, do your thing, and then you don't have to worry about stuff the rest of the day. You can just kind of hang out, you know, and listen to the best Christmas songs ever, right? Mm, you you could. I mean. <laughs> I don't know how you do I wouldn't like listen Christmas. to those songs, but. Hey, all I'm saying is my love language is receiving gifts. So if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> that's what people got to do. Oh, man. Um, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Die Hard. Okay. Yeah, Die Hard. My favorite is The Muppets Christmas Carol. My husband, that's his favorite. And 
he made us watch ever since we've been dating. So 20 years now, I've watched it every single Christmas. And I always thought it was so stupid. But when you watch a movie 20 times, you it starts to grow on you. And now I really like that movie. <laughs> There's something. Okay, there is a handful of movies I like to watch during Christmas time. And um, that is Home Alone. Yeah, I like I need to watch Home Alone. Uh, and I really with, you know, having kids and everything like that, as far as the like, you know, cartoon versions of things, mm-hmm. I really like the Polar Express. That is kind mm-hmm. of my like go to. There's actually a new Christmas Carol that just came out, a uh, new version of it that's actually really good that I watched. I don't I don't know any of the details, so find it if you can. Polar but Express? That one was weird. You don't like Not the Polar thing. Express? No. I like oh. I like uh Hot Chocolate. <laughs> I like uh Rudolph. I always like that one. Like the Frosty. old school like clan, old uh, claymation stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that's cuz I watched it growing up a lot. Oh, you know my favorite one was that black and white one. Um oh, Christmas the he um he Clarence, you know Clarence the angel saves him from the water and No, I have no idea what you're talking um, about. I'm not Every time you ring you. a bell, an angel gains its wings. Oh, uh, it is. Uh, it's a wonderful life. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a, a wonderful, wonderful life. life. That's what it's called. Yeah, whatever. I'm. I don't care that much about that one. They need but... to remake that one. It's a little dated. <laughs> it's black and white. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of dated things when it comes to Christmas. That is 100 percent sure. Uh, for sure. You know what movie I actually don't particularly care for that everyone loves. And like this is gonna be this is gonna be the hottest hot take this podcast has ever put out. Uh oh. And that is Elf. I hate hate Will Ferrell. I do. Oh man, I despise Will Ferrell. I just Uh. I I do not like him, and I'm like in the minority of that. But Mm -hmm. awful, awful person. Elf, um, the musical. Their local theater did it. It's really really good. Obviously, they always they would. Yeah, I don't. And my son loves it. Or he did growing up, so we watched it a ton. Ugh, hate it Aww, so much. Like, I'm not like a fan. Elf. That was, that's a cute movie. I don't know. Anyway, uh, you know what? Let's. Why don't we just go ahead and hop into some board games and actually do uh, do some board game talk? But once again, happy holidays, everyone. I hope you guys get all the board games wrapped underneath the tree that you want, and I hope you guys spend a ton of time with family and get a chance to play some games during this time. But we're gonna get into some reviews. First up, we're going to talk about Sleeping Gods, and we do actually have a special guest with us today that's going to help us with the review, and that is my wife, Ashley. Ashley, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Uh, so we have completed two campaigns of Sleeping Gods, so we just kind of want to, to chit-chat about it, so let's get into it, huh? Okay. All right, Sleeping Gods. This is an adventure exploration game designed by Ryan Lockett, art by Ryan Lockett, and published by Red Raven Games. In this game, players are crew members of the ship Manticore. It is 1929, and the crew of the Manticore has been magically transported to the Wandering Sea. You are trying to search the foreign lands for items called totems, which will help you awake the sleeping gods and hopefully send you home. This game is played over a longer campaign, and we will try to avoid uh, spoiling as much as we can. Players will be taking turns round to round until they fulfill the game-ending condition. Each turn is broken down into three phases, the first being the ship action where players will choose one of the available actions on the shipboard. Usually this will give the players command, which is uh, in some ways like action points. It can also help heal characters, or you can go searching for items. The next is the event step. Players will draw an event card and resolve its effect. Then players will take two actions. The first action they can do is move the ship. 
Next, they can explore various points of interest wherever their ship is. Or they can go to market and purchase additional equipment. And lastly, they can go to port, which lets them heal their wounds, repair their ship, and upgrade their characters. Most actions are going to, to depend on where your ship is. For example, you can't take the port or market action unless you're in one of those areas. That is, for the most part, the basics of the turn structure, but there are several other things going on in this game. Like, throughout the game, players are going to be managing several things. Each character in the game has a set of skill icons, which we'll use to complete challenges. Using crew members will cause fatigue. If a character gets too fatigued, they no longer can help in challenges. You'll have to combat different kinds of foes in the game, which can cause your crew to take damage. And if that damage ever hits a character's heart total, they're down. Players will be getting command tokens, which allows allows you to activate crew members ability, uh, helps you help other players buy upgrades, activate market cards, things like that. I think what makes this game amazing, at least for me, is the sense of adventure it gives you. I feel very immersed in the gameplay and the story that's going on within the game. So Ashley, you and I have both played two campaigns of it. The very first campaign was not good. No, it wasn't. So we did not do a very good job uh, the very first campaign. We So the goal is to get totems. And I'm not going to tell you how many you need, but you need to get a certain number. And we got one, which was not. <laughs> so it was not good because you guys didn't do good? <laughs> oh, I don't think we had a clear understanding of like the best way to strategize and actually play out the game. It felt oh. like we were... Um, we were doing a lot of adventuring and going to a lot of places um, on the map, but we weren't really collecting things that we needed. We weren't, we just weren't effectively playing the game. We were just mm. kind of, let's do this. Do, 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 do. <laughs> like, let's see what happens over here. It was hard to have that, the strategy and the focus the first time around. Okay. Well, that's cool though, that, that it, like built up, you know, that you figure that mm-hmm. out. That's a fun part of playing games. It's figuring yeah. out the strategy. Yeah. It was still fun, just not productive. If it was one thing, it was definitely not productive. That is for sure. We we struggled a lot because when you uh, take challenges, you are causing fatigue to your characters. Too fatigued, they can't do challenges anymore. And then you can get rid of fatigue and you can heal wounds by going to port. Well, to go to port, you need money. And we were just short on cash the entire game. It was mm-hmm. pretty brutal. And we scored points. And I'm going to share our point total from the first game. And people who have played this game are going to be like, it's laughable how bad we were. <laughs> I think we scored 16. And I thought it was 13. Uh, 13. I'm sorry. It was 13. 13 points. It was low teens. That, that said, <laughs> there is an asterisk involved because when you're calculating your score, you're supposed to calculate the cards that you have. In particular, the market cards, which I didn't know at the time, so I didn't calculate that in. So we would have scored an extra. Like, we didn't have many, but it we wouldn't had. have matter. <laughs> <laughs> we still would not have broken twenty. <laughs> still, there's a there's an asterisk. But, but good job trying to justify that little score, honey. <laughs> okay, we, so, we did not play it well. We may as well have not read the rule book and just said, "Let's see what happens." <laughs> but it was still fun. It was still fun, and we learned, and we did better the next time around. We did do better, so. There was a significant improvement. So first game, yeah, we scored 13 points. Maybe we break 20. Maybe we don't. Whatever. It's not good. So then afterwards, we we immediately set the game up to play a, play a second campaign. And uh, in the second campaign, we scored 100 
and twenty something. So, I don't I know. When you said, look up the score because I thought it was more. When you said thirteen, I thought, oh, okay, it must be like a, out of thirty, like thirty four. No, 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 that's what I'm saying. No. It was awful. So then, then on top of that, best part is so like. We score, it was probably 120 something. I don't know. I don't actually have the score on my phone. I have, wow. uh, I would have to look at the sheets. But we, so then we were like, man, we did really well because we went from finding, we, the first game we found one totem. The second game we found eight. And I felt really good. I was like, we found eight totems. Like we're doing what we're supposed to do. We scored like 120. I'm like, awesome. So I Googled, what is a good score in Sleeping Gods? And one of the first things is first game score. And people are like, yeah, we only scored 150. Oh, you like we did 175. This one person is like, oh, I did it solo and I scored 250. Like, bro, no, Lies. you didn't. No, you didn't. Lies. Like, all right. <laughs> Don't. Well, it's easy to move around when you get certain things. Okay, you're cheating. All right, you cheated. All right, there's no way you can get that kind of score. Uh, well, probably. I, it, but it was. <laughs> there's no way we could. There was to see. First of all, going from 13 to 120 <laughs> feels really good. <laughs> it feels yeah. really good. But but on top of that, when you see people scoring 250 on their first playthrough, in your head you're like, how bad are we at this game? But also the second game, we completed the main objective. We got home. We did. Yes. We did indeed. We did get home. So does the score matter or does it matter that we got home? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think it. De- I think because you score a game next time we play, like, what's our goal to score better than last time? I don't know. Or is it to get home? I don't know. I still, I feel a certain kind of way about that ending, but that's besides the point. So let's talk about the actual gameplay. For the most part, turns are pretty simple, right? Mm-hmm. Take a ship action, resolve an event. The events are interesting because there's three different kinds. There's events typically that aren't necessarily that bad, and then they progressively get worse, and then you can take your actions. Um, so mechanically, for the most part, turn to turn to turn is pretty simple, right? Yep. But the, what the the ultimate fun in this game comes from interacting with the map, getting going to the different locations, getting quest cards, trying to complete those quests. And I think the biggest difference between our first play and our second play is we were very much focused on all right, what are the what do we need to accomplish this turn? What are we trying to accomplish? What quests are we supposed to go on instead of just willy-nilly going wherever we want? Well, cuz you get quests given to you like left and right. And so the first time we would get a quest and we go somewhere else and we get another quest and it's like, cool, let's just keep getting quests and eventually we will somehow find a way to complete them. <laughs> right. But the yeah. second time we're like, okay, which quest do we want to focus on? Let's focus on doing this one. And we also did a better job at coming up with a system to track what quests we were focusing on, like where they were based on like the clues on the cards, where they were geographically on the map. So we had some direction of where to go. Worst case, even if we didn't, we weren't completing that quest, we were at least progressing towards that spot based on the quest card that it was given to us saying it's Mm -hmm. an island to the west. Okay, well, we're going to travel west and try to find it. If we get a couple more quests or whatever, that's fine. We're not worried about those. We're worried about this one in particular. We're trying to do that. Mm-hmm. The set, the first time we played, our note taking wasn't great. You know, I for the most part, I was kind of uh, going through the rule book because the rule book isn't the greatest rule book I've ever had. So I was kind of going through that, and then for the most part, Ashley was taking care of the the map and 
you know, we were kind of, I was trying to keep track of the quests, but then the second game I was in charge of the map. Cause you get a scrap sheet of paper where you can take notes on where you've been on the map. And then Ashley, you were taking like basically post-it notes, little post-it notes and putting them on the quest cards to give us. So we can just quick look at them instead of reading them again. We knew, okay, this one is West of this Island, or we're trying to go to an Island called pig ribs. Okay. These are the things we're trying to accomplish. So it was a little bit easier in that regard. So I think note-taking is pretty important in this game. So you can have an idea of where you've been, what you need to go back. There's a ton of keywords. Like, how did you feel about the keyword system? The fact that certain keywords would trigger, you would go to a spot, and if you had keywords, you can do stuff, like kind of piggybacking off of each other. Yeah, I kind of like that because you can go to the same place multiple times and have different outcomes. So if you go to one location and you don't have a keyword, there's still things you can do there and benefits you can potentially get. But if you go back and you now have the certain keyword, then that unlocks more options. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. I did not appreciate the one place we went and we lost our keyword because then we could not go back. Well, we could go back, but we won't be able to do the thing we needed to do. Oh, that's right, because you got rid of it, and it's you had a one-shot opportunity at this thing. Yeah, we it. lost the challenge. Yep. I don't remember if it was a challenge or a combat. But whatever we had to do, we lost it, and then we had to, as a result, we lost the keyword, and so we couldn't complete. I think that made us unable to complete another quest. If I remember correctly, we lost out on a totem. I think. Oh, maybe that's what it was. I think was. we lost out on a totem. So we would have had nine if we were able to complete it, but then it got rid of the card. So we no longer had the keyword necessary to trigger that event at that location. Mm-hmm. It's I, just another another little element. I like it. Yeah, it's it was definitely interesting because it gave you, it constantly kept referring you back to those quest cards. And there were certain quests that were ongoing. And then there were certain quest cards that you were get that were simply just say, you interacted with somebody, this is your keyword. And now you have that keyword permanently for the rest of this particular campaign, which I think is a cool, unique system. And I do want to take a second and talk about the story because uh, I believe the story was written by Ryan's wife, for the most part, Mallory. And I think Ryan had a little bit to do with it too. But out of all of his games with near and far, above and below, those story-driven games, I felt this game had the most cohesive story out of all the those types of games. Would you agree? Yeah, I didn't realize it was the same person who made that game as like near and far, because I don't enjoy near and far and above and below. At all? Or just in the in uh, compared to this? No, I don't think I liked those when we played them. Well, we ended up getting rid of above and below because the story was a little too scattered for me, and near and far, I thought, did it better. There was a couple wonky rules or whatever in it that you would have to go out and explore, but but this story you enjoyed more so than those. Yeah, definitely. It felt very cohesive for the most mm-hmm. part. Like you would you could go to a bunch of random places and it all felt like it was interconnected. Yeah. So I'm curious. So our very first play, we got done. Very first campaign, I said, what do you think? And you go, I don't know. I'd give it like a five or a six. So you were not particularly thrilled with it. After playing the second campaign... What do you think you would want to rate this game? I'd probably give it a nine. Okay. What uh, What were the things that you liked the most about the game? Like after we figured out how to actually play it? <laughs> <laughs> no. Knowing the rules is good. It helps. It helps. Um, I like the story of it. I appreciate the characters all have like a backstory that's interconnected and comes into play throughout the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked how that was all pulled together. 
I feel like there's some games we've played where the characters maybe have a backstory, but it doesn't really come into play in the game. So I like that. I kind of felt like reading a, playing out a choose your own adventure book. A hundred percent. Which is so much fun. I like combat. Like we're not super great at it, <laughs> to be honest, but it's we got fun. Better. We got better. But it's fun. If you're just going from like island to island, town to town and, and doing the little challenges, like that's fine. But combat just adds another element. That for me is fun. So let's talk about the combat system for a second. Because the way it happens is they say, all right, combat. And they'll give you a set of numbers. And the set of numbers relate to uh, a stack of monster cards. So then you, if you have multiple, you take them and you shuffle them. And then you deal them face up. And the shuffling matters because they're all mm-hmm. next to each other. And there's a little three by three grid on each, um, on each monster. And when you apply damage, you have to apply damage adjacent to damage that you've placed before. So if you, if, or damage that you've done that turn. So you can only go in straight lines. You can't Mm -hmm. go in diagonals. But what you can do is you can do a thing called splash damage. So you can put two wounds on one and then maybe one wound on the person next to it. Mm -hmm. And then on these cards, there's going to be hearts, which equate to their, you know, life total. But then there's also other things. So they might be... You know, they it gives you a condition like weakened. It gives you a condition that you have to try to end up figuring out in some way. So sometimes you're not necessarily trying to kill them in the first round. You're just trying to knock down the conditions. Right. So since you like combat so much, like what's your favorite part about it? Like what do you enjoy about the combat? I don't know. I think I like, well, like I said, it adds another element to the gameplay. Yep. Um, Definitely the teamwork piece comes into play. Mm-hmm. When you're during doing combat. So even though it's a, a cooperative game, I feel like that's really where you feel that part the most. And I think just getting into the game itself, like really getting into the theme and feeling like your characters, it's like, yeah, let's go kill some monsters. I don't know. I just, for me, combat is, is fun. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely an interesting part of the game. That grid is a unique system. Uh, where you're applying those damage pieces on that. There's a lot of times where, all right, we know... We're going to do four damage. How are we going to set it up? Right. Because each individual has a basic weapon and uh, there's an attack value and you're trying to hit a certain threshold in order to be actually able to hit the monster. And then when you do, you can apply damage. But one of the things in this game that you do a lot is there's a there's a deck of cards. It's like the fate deck. And they they hold two purposes. One, they are essentially like upgrades that you can buy for your character. And make them cooler and give them additional skill icons. Sometimes they'll increase the amount of damage you can do or they increase the amount of hit they can do. Maybe they make your ship move faster, that kind of thing. But the other thing you do is you flip it and add the value to it to pretty much everything. Whenever you're doing a challenge, you flip a fate card. Whenever you're attacking, you flip a fate card. So that fate system is, man, I don't know. Like, it's just a fickle... uh, I hate flipping those cards sometimes because it's like I we need we need a three and we get a two and if uh well it's kind of like rolling a dice but yeah and it does it's suggest a card instead it does suggest in the rule book to roll dice would you rather roll dice or flip a card oh I'm not good at rolling dice so I I'm good with the card <laughs> system <laughs> the card system at least gives you like the odds like you could roll a dice and always roll a one where if you have a card system you know you're gonna get like a six in there eventually. Right, and you can be like, okay, we've gotten a lot of low number cards, so there's got to be a high number coming up. 
Whereas rolling dice, for me, I am going to get a one almost every time. The <laughs> odds are not in my favor. Uh, may, they, may the odds be ever in your favor. So the other thing with the fate deck is it's skewed. So ones and sixes are less than two, threes and two, three, four, and five. So I think the most common ones are threes and fours, and then it's twos and fives, and then it's ones and sixes. So it is skewed somewhat, so it would be a little bit easier to do that. But how do you feel about the amount of content in the box with the amount of totems you can find, the fact that there's 13 endings? Oh, man, that's a lot. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. Like I feel like we covered a lot of ground in the second game, and then you look at the whole map, and there are pages we never even touched. Yep. And not like one or two pages. I mean, like probably half the pages or more we never touched. Yep. So for me, that's on the one hand, I guess that supports like replayability. Mm -hmm. But also it's way overwhelming for me. There's a there's a lot. And then I ended up buying the expansion because I liked it so much. And I was like, we got I need I need the expansion. (laughs) Which has a bunch of more maps to it and cards. Because why not, right? Um, Overall, so you're going to rate this game a 9. What prevents it from getting a 10? I don't know that I'd ever give a game a 10. You're like me in that regard, sure. Okay. I mean, maybe. Sigh. (laughs) (laughs) There's no such thing as a perfect game. Yeah, I'm I'm a little stingy there, like. So this must be one of your favorite games, then, if you're giving it a 9. Yeah, yeah. If you made a top 10 list of games, would you put this in the top 10? Probably. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. The one thing that sticks with me that um, is a little bit obnoxious that I, that I don't particularly like, and our eight-year-old pointed this out when we were looking at the oh, player yeah. boards. Um, it's about, I think it's 50-50, male players and female players. Mm-hmm. And our daughter, who is clearly we're raising to be a feminist... but she looks at them and there's icons on there that that say they're like their quality i don't know the right terminology uh their skills their skills little icons represent their skills and strength is um one skill set and she looked at it and she's like how come none of the girls are strong and i looked i'm like "Ooh, you're right none of the female player boards have strength they have cunning which is really really gender stereotyping <laughs> yeah. they're they're cunning but they're not strong um so that is really bothersome to me but also if our eight-year-old hadn't pointed it out i might not have noticed <laughs> i guess <laughs> or the, at least not right away yeah the the captain who is a female does have all the icons which I makes guess. sense yeah but, but it's not it's not like she has strength because she's a female it's because she's the captain at least this is a step in the right direction. A few years ago, we didn't have any characters. There was a lot of games without any female characters. So yeah. we are progressing. Okay, now yeah. let's make them strong. Let's put clothing on them, like right. armor on them. I think that is <laughs> right. the that is the most, like, the dumbest thing ever is when you see armor in video games on females and it's barely anything. I mean, at this point, it's just like a meme that's going around, but it's just... Well, and doesn't that only protect like their boobs? Yeah, their their, their chest area. It doesn't yeah. even protect vital organs. No, no, they'll get stabbed. They would get stabbed in the kidney real quick, or even in the heart. But like, they're they're so be good. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it yeah. It doesn't make any sort of sense. It just yeah. So yeah. 
dumb. It was it was and the interesting thing is that our daughter Lila brought it up. Is the fact that she noticed she that. noticed that yeah. immediately. Uh-huh. Immediately. She took she was looking through all the player boards and she's like, Um, how come none of, none of the girls are strong? I'm like, What Good do you her. mean? She's like, None of them are strong, only the boys are strong. Look. Yeah. And it was it was immediate that she noticed that. I think when you grow up with like so much sexism, you don't you don't notice it. You just think that's how it is. But when you know when you're kids and you raise that that's wrong, then that you notice it more. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's fair because there's things like now you think back in the '90s, if certain things would come up, and you're like, wow. Like you look back at some of the yeah. cartoons or content or whatever that you end up watching, you're like, wow, I can't believe I can't believe they let this like go on TV. Even just the simple fact of cartoon characters like smoking, another example. Yeah. You know, you're like, yeah, it's just what? normal. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was I noticed that um, our daughter she often notices when girls are portrayed or female characters are portrayed doing like strong things. And I was thinking the other day how I never noticed that in shows when I was a kid. And like, is she just that much more aware than I was? And like, no, it wasn't really portrayed for me when I was mm-hmm. a kid. So even, and here's a little segue into your next game for you. We were watching Alice in Wonderland last night and Alice kills the Jabberwocky. And Lila goes, wow, she killed that? That's really cool that a girl could do that. Oh. So, I don't know. Kids, kids notice. They're aware of those differences, and yeah, we really didn't, I guess, have that option to be aware growing up. Yeah, yeah. It's even in the, you know, some of the different trades and everything along those along those lines, the fact that you're seeing, like, more females within, you know, construction. Even in the board gaming industry, there's 20, 30 years ago, there was probably zero female designers, you know, and there's a lot more... You know, being prevalent, just you have so many more, so much more diversity when it comes to that stuff, which is good. But yeah, a lot of women are playing board games now, too. So they're designing games that women like to play. And game stores are encouraging women players and their facility, their creating environments make them feel safe because I've I've often read articles about how somebody, uh, a female will be working at a game store and she'll be um hit on or she'll be you know she feels uncomfortable because the way she's treated with the people there's a lot more game stores i feel like that are creating a safer environment for women to play without feeling that sort of thing which is not tolerating sexism correct 100 uh all right sleeping (laughs) coming on back (laughs) let's let's bring this home all right sleeping gods ashley gave it a nine she shared her opinion on it i I'm turning over a new leaf. I said that. I was going to give this game a nine. No, this game's giving a 10. I love this wow. game. Wow. This game's good. I I felt immersed in the story. We enjoyed uh, our plays of it. I, I really, honestly, if it was up to me, we'd be playing through another campaign right now. I've just, I've enjoyed the story. I want to explore the world more. I enjoyed playing in it. I The little bit that you have to manage with the characters and everything like that, I think it's fulfilling when you get stuff you get rewarded the combat system's good my only complaint and this is because um this is because of who i am there's no concrete ending until you finish the campaign so if we're sitting down to play and we just stop when we're done and i don't like that i like concrete like like in gloomhaven draws the line what that we played you play through a story okay next story next story and it was this overarching thing not in this game now this game how long does a campaign take to complete 10, it's a long play. 10, 15 hours, maybe. So you just Less? randomly break it up and d- just, you just like, okay, I'm kind of done. 
come back well, to it later. We the first time we played it was Thanksgiving. I think we sat down and played and we played yeah. most of the day. Yeah. And then we came back and we played it most. So what we'll do is we'll sit down and play three, four, five hours. But it's like, all right, let's finish this round and then go pay attention to our kids or go get food or, you know, go do whatever it is we need to do or or just take a break because we need a mental break from it. Yeah. Yeah, you can't play. For but there's hours. not like a clear, okay, we completed this quest. So now we can take a break. It's like, oh, we completed this quest or challenge, and now here's another one. Right. Yeah, we take breaks, but you can't just have, you know, several story plots. You have to you have to get through the campaign in order to log a play, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, so you give it a ten. Yeah. After we figured out what we were doing. Yeah. After our first time playing through it, mm-hmm. what would you have rated it? Oh, that's a good question. Um I still liked it even though we were awful. You ordered the expansion before we started the second one. No, I, I think. No, it was during the second one. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was during the second one. Uh, seven or eight. I thought it was hard. I was like, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And then... <laughs> um, See, <laughs> I thought it was easy. I'm like, okay, you just kind of sail around this map and find things. And okay, like, I don't really get what the function is. <laughs> so easy. Look at me. I already got so 10 easy. points. <laughs> All right. So in that, in terms of that, yeah, that is easy. I would agree with that, that, that that's an easy thing. But what I'm saying is it was, it was hard because I always felt like we were always fatigued. We were always wounded. We were always constant. We were never like, as soon as we would get, enough money to go to port we would go to port and we'd be like ah cool and then we would get a challenge that would just completely get everyone fatigued that's again. true we were tired broke hungry <laughs> the whole time a jalopy <laughs> of a ship it was always busted there was duct tape holding that thing together yeah like it was barely getting yeah. by in the sea old Raphael had buckets and he was trying to get the water out of it that's how bad it was <laughs> so because of that it felt it felt very I don't want to say punishing, but it felt hard. But I still enjoyed the story. Who is this game for? Who's going to like this game? I think if you like campaign games. If you like story-driven campaign games and you have a group that would love to sit down and like sink their teeth into a game and -hmm. just enjoy the story that develops, I think this is a game for them. If people who like role-playing games, I think would... I think they would have a good time with something like this just because it because of that story that develops i think if you if you like adventure if you like getting immersed into the storyline of a game this is a good one i'm not i'm not a gamer like you guys are like not near the level of pretty close i mean you're up there Um, you're up there i I don't know well when i said you just don't spend your but i don't spend your free time you don't spend your free time re- researching games. You just no. play them all. But you play them all. You play a lot of games. Listen, you're a g- gamer, and you want to know why you're a gamer? It's because I'll ran. Anything. Right, that's one. There's okay. I'll give you a list. That makes me a good wife, not a gamer. It makes you both. Okay, first and <laughs> foremost, the the number th- one thing is I'm like, hey, let's play this uh, complex Euro game, and you're like, okay, and you play it like. Sweet. Like Maracaibo. You love Maracaibo. A lot of people's spouses won't touch Maracaibo. The other thing is I will randomly get a text from you with a link to Board Game Geek. And you're like, 
do you know about this game? This game looks interesting. Oh, oh, so you do research games in your free time. No, you're <laughs> no. a gamer. No, no I, I, follow, I follow our um, local game Oh, you stores. follow some groups? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there, Natasha. No, our one of our local board game stores. Um, because I've met the owners and they're cool people. And so I follow their like Facebook page and sometimes they'll post a game and the artwork on the cover will be pretty. So I'll just look it up and see what it is. Huh. Just, just casually. The fact that you know about Board Game Geek... I think already puts you in a different level. Yeah. I don't go and like look up Board Game Geek. I Google the name of the board game and that's usually what pops up first. Regardless. That's I mean the same thing. That's what I do because I know that's the first thing that's going to pop up. Well, whatever. Anyway. So I'm just saying that's I mean you're you're Mm -hmm. a gamer. You just don't. You've been on this podcast twice. But I'm not on here to talk about me and and if I'm a gamer or not a gamer. Talking about Sleeping Gods. (laughs) (laughs) who would enjoy the game Ashley just doesn't like um, board gaming events like she likes everything about board gaming just not like board gaming events and cons and and nerds yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's not worth getting going to the game store (laughs) because it stinks it does Uh, they're facilitating so they're facilitating a welcoming environment but they still make it um, they, they need to make it smell better uh, yes. The, the That's funny not thing is, the store's fault, though. No, I was funny enough. I was, I think, I was on Facebook, and there was somebody from a board game store or whatever that wrote a comment like they had to. They there was either a letter or they there's something that they set up in the bathroom, and they're like, "Listen, guys, women come here too, and we'd like them to keep coming back. So just like take a shower, shower. put on deodorant." <laughs> So it's not specific to board game nerds. I found this out. I was chatting with a friend of mine who's super into pinball machines. And he goes to like pinball machine cons and stuff. And it's all nerds there. He's like, they smell so bad. It's like dirty feet and checks mix. That's the smell. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. There was. So I it's went. It's awful. The, the, <laughs> dirty feet and checks mix. Jesus. Tell me I'm wrong. No, I mean, that's well, that's legit. <laughs> There was. I still remember. I went to. Uh, uh, this was Gen Con. I mean, probably pre-pandemic Gen Con, and I was walking in the vendor hall, and there was a fella in front of me. He was six six, wearing a pair of Levi's overalls. Right, no shirt, no shirt, no socks, no shoes. Walking around barefoot. The overalls were so long it was like underneath his feet, and his hair looked so greasy. It looked like imagine camping for a week not showering that kind of bedhead and i was probably eight feet behind him and i could just he just you could smell him and you're like oh it was so gross and i'm like dude come on come on like like if you're in a hotel shower shower. and and then they fart like they fart like like they're alone like the whole time (laughs) makes them do it like you're around people, stop farting. Go to the board, bathroom. Board gamers like stinky snacks, like Chex Mix, and then makes I, you I fart. Can, I can, yeah, I can take the stinky snacks. I'll take the stinky food or the stinky bodies anytime. I don't know when you combine the smell of those foods with the stinky bodies, it is just very unpleasant to me. It was uh, <laughs> my very first Gen Con. We, uh, uh, my buddies had all been there before, and we're on our way home, and they're like, "Bob, what do you think? What do you think?" 
And I was like, you know, I didn't expect to be the coolest people at Gen Con. And they start <laughs> laughing and they're like, what are you talking about? I go, well, we showered every day and we wore polo shirts. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't the cool kids there. You were the preppy kids. We, yeah, sure. That, I'll take that. It's best part is my uh, my one of my best friends, Matt. He's a research biologist for a zoo. And he had to go to a convention at the same convention center. And he sends me a picture of the convention center. And he goes, wow, it smells a lot better when you don't have 100,000 nerds here. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Oh, man. It's like not funny. It smells better than nerds. That's what I just heard you say. Yeah, that doesn't. A hundred percent. They shouldn't. Like, if anybody stinks, it should be those animal lovers. You would think, but that's not the case. Oh, it's high. Oh, it's man. level of hygiene is what it boils down to. <laughs> oh my god! Like people yeah, don't so... want to be around you when you stink. Like it's not like you can be ugly. That's fine, but smell good. <laughs> Stop <laughs> farting and start showering. You can be ugly. <laughs> oh my god! It uh, I just. I don't know yeah. why that's a thing. That's the thing. Like, I don't understand, like, like how basic hygiene is. It makes zero sense to me. Like, mm-hmm. why can't you just just shower daily? Just shower daily. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. even every other day. Uh, yeah. Well, I if mean, you're the, it like, doesn't have to be every yeah, day. You're right. But... Some people do not need to shower every day. Like, some people are fine. Like, you can do whatever you want to do, but you need to be clean and not fart all the time. Yeah. Like, don't fart when you're around people. I don't get it. <laughs> and you could tell this, the, some of the people like they're not even nonchalant about it they just see him like lift up off the and you're like bro dude like i'm right here yeah. stop oh, man. like oh people won't be around me because i'm weird no you stink there's a difference yeah i mean <laughs> yes. if can you imagine being weird and stinky then no one would want to be your friend it's not it's not because you're weird but, like i like weird people but yeah weird weird people are good mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah sure yep Agreed. It's the stink part. <laughs> it's the stink. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> uh, We're bracing uh, ourselves for this cruise. I think the cruise will be fine, though. Yeah, I think. Ooh, I hope so. Because <laughs> we'll be I out of so. boat. It better be. It better be good. I would like. Oh man, that's the thing. I don't know. I don't know. You're Origin- still gonna be in like a conference room, though, right? You're not gonna be like yeah, open air playing games out on the deck. No, we're not gonna be on the deck. They're, they'll do like their the pool and our, the. Yeah, yeah, they have like a big yeah. conference room for us to play in. So it'll yeah. still smell, mm. but you'll have access to fresh air. That's like real life. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that was Sleeping Gods. So <laughs> <laughs> there's that game. Sleeping Gods Plus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't mind the random tangents. Uh, <laughs> public service announcement wash yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you stink. <laughs> all right, let's talk about Wonderland's War. Let's do All right, let's talk about Wonderland's War. Ashley, thank you for coming on. Thank you for talking about uh, Sleeping Gods and your, your opinion about it. I appreciate it. Of course. It was fun. Wonderland's War is designed by Tim Eisner, and Ben Eisner, and Ian Moss. The art's by Manny Trumpley. It's published by Druid City Games. This is a bag-building, push-your-luck game with some drafting and area control. In this game, you are playing one of the Alice in Wonderland characters, trying to earn victory points by winning battles in the different regions on the board and by completing quests. The player with the most strength in the region's battle 
earns victory points and can place their castle in that region, which also will give them some more strength in future battles and earn them some endgame victory points. Your strength in the region can come from your castle, your character, if there are if they're there, other one Wonderlandians you have recruited, and any allies you draw from your bag. So players are gonna all together draw out one chip from their bag and add it to their strength on the battle track. If at any point you want to stop, you just you just do not draw one of the chips and you reveal no chips in your hand. Okay, well, why would you ever want to stop drawing? Well, you may be ahead and figure no one else is going to catch up without busting. Or you could be on a forge spot on the battle track. So if you quit now, you can do the forge action at the end of the battle. You might also be in second place and figure that's better than busting. Anytime you draw a madness chip from your bag, you have to remove one of your supporters from the region. If you lose all your supporters, you bust. You lose all your strength on the battle and you can't do the forge action. You're also collecting quest cards that may require you to end a battle in a certain spot or or with a certain chip. So that's another reason why you might want to stop even if you're losing the battle. So, in the, so this game is played over two phases. The first phase is the tea party phase where you move your character around the tea party board collecting uh, cards that allow you to recruit allies, other Wonderlandians, and place your supporters out in the region on the board. Once you've collected four cards, you move your character to one of the regions on the board. Then there is a war phase where you resolve each of the battles in each of the regions. Uh, this is done three times over the course of the game with the cards and the points each escalating. What makes this game fun is the beautiful, absolutely gorgeous artwork, individual player powers, and the push-or-luck aspect of the battles. Yeah, I agree. The artwork in this game is stunning. It is really, really, really good. Mm -hmm. I love all the fun colors up against the black. It's beautiful. I like the theme. Um, You don't get too many dudes on the map game with a fun, um, like, cartoony, artsy, child-like theme. You know what I mean? Most... Dudes on the map are all battle-themed, you know, historical theme. I like that this is based on a a Disney movie, you know, or a a children's storybook. Yeah, the theme of it is really cool, and I think that's what attracted me to this game originally when I picked it up was the theme of it. And I know my family enjoys that theme. Mm -hmm. You know, we've we've watched all the Alice in Wonderland movies and all that other stuff, so it was was cool to see this type of game designed around it. Mm Mm-hmm. I've thought a lot about this game and what I want to give it as a rating, you know, and it's hard for me to know what I want to rate this game because there's a lot of cool things about it. And there's certain things that I just like, I don't know. Okay. It's a weird, it has a weird, it it has this weird thing about it. Number one, I think the game, it has a two player version. I don't know if I'd ever want to play it at two player, you know, I think because we've, we've played it at three and we played it at five. Mm hmm. Uh, which did you like better, three or five? I actually liked it at three, and I would play it at two players, no problem, because I don't like people coming in and ruining my stuff. So the less people in there, the more likely I am going to win one of the battles of the region. So to me, I don't mind that it's that there's not a lot of people competing in each of the regions. That's probably the least favorite part for you. Is that is the yeah com- area competition control the, is the area control aspect? But I like this area control because it's not just area control. It's area control, but there's luck with drawing the tiles out of the bag. So you could be the weakest player in that spot and still win because you draw tiles. You got lucky with your draws. Okay. And that might bother people, but I like it. That's true. Some people might, because it is uh, push your luck 
at the very basis, every battle is going to be push your luck. I like that there are reasons why you don't necessarily want to win the battle. Like you probably always want to win it, but you might stop trying to win it because of other reasons. And I like that a lot. Like if everyone was always trying to win every single battle, then it's just comes down completely to the luck of the bag draw, which is not fun, right? There's not a lot of strategy with that. But like deciding when to stop because of other reasons, because of these quest cards and because the cards you drew or the the regions that you really want to win in, I think that's what makes this game interesting. And I like that part of it. I completely agree. That's the part that gives you, it gives you choices. It gives you decisions. It gives you things to think about while you're drawing from your bag. Mm -hmm. Yes, that you don't know what you're going to draw, but you're going to draw it and say, okay, how many times have we played and people will draw and then We'll see how everything is. And then everyone's like, okay, are you ready? And people are like, wait, 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 hold on. And they're thinking about what do they want to do? Okay, mm-hmm. did they meet the criteria for their quest? Cool. Are they also on a forge space? Maybe I maybe I want to you know, stop so I can do the forge thing. Maybe I'm not mm-hmm. going to win it. Does the points really matter to me? Does it make more sense for me to forge so then I can try to do something in a later later battle, later turn, that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. If you're really far ahead, you're like, you don't want to keep going. You know, you, yeah. might, you, have a, you might already win. But you don't know what people are going to do. You know, they might just end up backing out anyways. So you might as well just stop. There's some interesting decisions to be made during that portion of things. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with uh, the tea party phase. Like you're going around and you're picking up, you know, those cards to add add to your tableau. They give you, they can give you special powers. They allow you to put your supporters on the board. You know, sometimes you have to roll um, that die to see if you take any, you know, madness shards, that kind of thing. And those are negative points. So you don't necessarily want to accumulate them. Maybe you accumulate some. Plus, they, whoever has the most at the end of the tea party phase is also going to draw an additional madness token. I think there's a little bit more strategy if you play two player around that piece of it. With five, if you're like kind of lower on the lower end, you're like, I'm fine. You know, but t- definitely two players, there'd be more to it. My concern at two player is there wouldn't be enough action in the in the different wars because you could end up just securing a spot without any sort of without anyone doing anything. And then once you do that, then you have you have your choice of either taking points or putting out your castle as opposed to, you know, you can't get both because it's uncontested. Yeah, I think having regions uncontested would lead to it not being nearly as fun. But maybe maybe that's not necessarily the case either. Yeah. I mean, you getting those castles out, that's going to help you for the next battle. You're not going to lose your figures. So if somebody else enters the battle next time, your figures will all be there. Or you could go for just the points. You know, I, I think it I think it'd be just as good. I would totally play it at two because I don't mind being uncontested. <laughs> yeah, right. Because it's the area control aspect. You know what I think it is? There's a lot of good things about this game. There's a lot mm-hmm. of interesting choices to be made at different phases of the game. During the tea party, like how far forward do I want to go? Where do I want to get a card? Do I want a card with enough supporters so I can put the supporters out? But -hmm. this card's really good because it lets me put out a castle, but I can't put out any supporters. Oh, this gives me a Wondolarian card, which gives me additional tokens, or it gives me another person to put out, which could help me in the battle phase. If I go all around the board, I'm going to have to roll that die to see how many of these madness tokens. It's it's really cool decisions. I think the, the player powers are unique enough but i don't think they're like game breaking in any way they just make your character feel slightly different which is nice Mm -hmm. and then even in the war phase drawing the tokens out you're trying to push your luck to get to certain things to meet criteria for the quest you're trying to meet the criteria for 
you know, forging because forging gives you additional actions and increases your strength. It does all these things. And I think all those choices are interesting. I think what it boils down to is the game is fiddly. I think that's what it is for me is it's if it was more streamlined, I think it would be better. I enjoyed my plays of it and I would like to play more. But when somebody's like brand new and I have to teach them, they're not going to understand the war phase until we go through it. And there's always like these little like side things that can happen. Oh, well, if you stop here, you can forge with that. And then you have a forge token so you can do that. Well, do I need the forge? Do I forge with the forge token? Well, no, technically, no, you don't. You can use any of the tokens you have. You know, there's a lot of these like fiddly minutia side rules that you have to figure out while you're playing. And Mm -hmm. I think if it takes a war phase to figure out the war phase, one third of the game is based off that. Yeah, but it's the beginning of the game. It doesn't really matter. Like, basically, you're setting yourself up in the beginning of the game. Yeah, you'll probably lose if you don't do that correctly. But the points, you have very little points. You know, you don't necessarily try to win. You're really trying to set yourself up. So when you, whenever you forge, you might stop early so you can forge, which means you take the tokens that you just drew and you put them on your board, unlocking powers, which help you later in the game. I know. It just feel, the war phase feels fiddly. Even when I'm trying to explain it to people, people look at me like this like complete blank stare because it mm-hmm. just doesn't necessarily make sense it's, as you're going through it right away. It's a big game with a lot of setup. There's a lot to set up. Yes. And then the war, the tea party phase is pretty straightforward. You just go around drafting these cards. It's a it's a rondelle where you can you can only go forward. You can't go back. So if you if you go all the way forward and you want more cards, you have to roll this die. You can place more cards out, which usually is worth it, but you take madness. You know, but that's pretty straightforward. But then you go into the battle phase, and now you're you're resolving each of these battles individually, and that is very lengthy. So yes. in in even I don't know necessarily know that five players is that much longer. The tea party phase is going to be longer, but the battle phase isn't any any longer with five players because you're all revealing the card the tokens simultaneously. You might might go a little bit longer, you know, because there's more people in the battle, so they might be having to continue drawing more before they. Mm-hmm. They halt and get out of there. But that is definitely a long part of this game. It, it feels, the whole game feels like a light, lighter, cutesier, funner area of control. But the mechanics and the length of the game, it's really not. It is it is just as much a heavy, heavier style game. Not because the, the strategy is heavy and it's thinky, but this because there's so much to it. So much setup. And you're right. There's the fiddliness of it. I do like the decisions that you have to make, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I keep coming back to the fact that I have to think about my turns. And I have to think about what I want and where I want to position myself and when I want to stop drawing tokens, When all these different things. Do mm-hmm. I want to use my shield to throw that madness back in, but then I have to draw another chip? And, and the, there's a lot of decisions with the tea party too, which cards yep. you're drafting. Like, what do I want? Do I want figures on the board? Do I want to get certain tokens? Like, do I want more quest cards? Like, there's a lot of decisions in those yeah, cards. Yeah, I agree. Draw. I like it. I really like, I like bag builders a lot. Um, I yeah. love pusher luck games a lot. I like drafting a lot. I like the artsiness of the um, the game, the, the cartoony characters. It, it's not children like it's adult still you know it's it's kind of still got this dark art to it but it, it, i like that a lot better than a war theme um i like the area control because you can bust out of the whole thing you know so there's a lot of decisions with that you know you can you can kind of spread yourself thin but then more likely to bust in certain areas or you can put a lot of figures in one board and like pretty much guarantee you're not going to bust yeah 
you know, and, and I really like that. I like, I like this game quite a bit. For me, I'm coming in at, at an eight because I like just about everything about it. However, it's not going to go higher for me because it is fiddly and long because it just takes a long time to play. And the length doesn't necessarily match with the heaviness of the game. I would agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm coming in at a seven. I I enjoy it. I think the thing for me is, again, that fiddliness. I really like the decisions that you make. I love the artwork. There's a lot of good things about this game. If it was a little bit more streamlined with stuff and you didn't have to consult the rule book in the midst of like the war phase and everything like that when you're in the thick of it, I think it would it would go higher. But I'm coming in at a seven. I still think it's a good game. And I still am enjoying it. But yes, I, I, I agree everything you said. All right. I recommend this game if you like games with a strong theme, especially if you're looking for a dudes on the map game with a more cutesy theme. I also recommend this game even if you don't like area control because it feels different because of the push your luck nature of the battle resolution. If you're interested in the theme at all, um, I, I still highly recommend this game. I like it quite a bit. That is Wonderland's War. Well, that's going to wrap up the games we are reviewing this week. We are going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to go ahead and just keep on trucking along with that top 100. We only got a few episodes left before we get to our top 10 favorite games of all time, which should be fun. So we'll see you right after the break. All right. Welcome back. We are going to be going ahead and continuing on with the board game shenanigans. Top 100 games of all time. This week, we are going to be doing 30 through 21. And as we've stated before, how we came up with this list, Natasha and I both made a top 160. And based on where those games fell, you got a certain amount of points. You know, being number one, you would get, you know, 99 points. If you were at 100, you get zero. And we added the points together and then we just populated the list. So, for example, if a game is a game I really love, but Natasha doesn't play it, it can still represent itself on the list, which we think is good. So, yeah. Uh, super complicated. We did some calculus, you know, we did some matrixes and <laughs> we came up with and we got it. We are here. We are doing, we are doing the list. That said, uh, it was an interesting moment, um, last time because moving forward, all the games on the list are on both of our lists. So it's both games. Mm-hmm. We, we both enjoy and our top are both of our top 100 as well. Yep. So it's all it's going to be all games we actually enjoy. There were some games that uh, early on Natasha really liked that I didn't or I liked that Natasha didn't. But mm-hmm. moving forward, these are all games we, we both agree on are fantastic. So mm-hmm. let's let's dive right into it. Let's do it. What is uh, what is our number 30? Number 30 um, is Praga Caput Regni. Praga Caput Regni. I was going to say I pronounced it correctly. Yeah, you were close. You know, whatever. No big deal. So big. Well, this comes in at 30 for Bob. He loves it. It comes in at 59 for me. I like it quite a bit. Actually, I should say I love it. It's on my top 100. Why do you like this game so much, Bob? It's a Vladimir Suchi game. Man, it is a tight game. It has the action wheel. It's got a rondel. That's why he loves it. It's an action wheel. It's not a rondel. You can't move forward. Um, you move the action wheel. Yeah. I mean, yes. Okay, whatever. The action Regardless. wheel is a really cool part of this game. Yeah, so uh, you, you basically have this action wheel. You take an action, you rotate it, and based on where the action sits, you might have to pay for it. You might get additional things. Um, you might get additional bonuses. You you buy. T- there's just there's a lot of cool things about this. It's an extremely tight game. There's mm-hmm. only sixteen actions that you get to do throughout the course of the game, so it's extremely tight. 
uh, we have a friend, Chris. Chris is very good at these types of games, like Endless Winter. He's going to be really good at that game. And I have yet to beat him at this game. And I so we've played it online a few times and I've gotten really close, but I've never actually beaten him. <laughs> and one of these days, it's going to be so sweet when I do. But there's a lot of different things going on in this game that you can do and you can focus on. And, and it's it very just, big and very heavy. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I can play it with you guys anymore since you've gotten so good at it. Like I wasn't ever good at this game, but now it's going to be even worse just because, yeah, you have to make every turn count. Pretty much. Yes. It's every decision you make is a big decision in this mm-hmm. game. So, yeah, it's I think it's good. I really I really enjoy this game. I think it's uh, I think it's one of his better games. It's right up there. I don't know. Maybe Underwater Cities is still now. My favorite's definitely Pulsar, but I definitely do enjoy this game. And hopefully, hopefully I said that correctly and I'm not called out online by Kelly again. <laughs> hopefully um, it's wrong. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whatever. T-O-T-O-T-O-T. <laughs> if you know, right. you know. <laughs> That's our number 30. Praga Kaput Regni. Maybe. All right. Number 29. Kara Rise of an Empire. This comes in at 59 for Bob and 38 for me. I thought you'd like it more than me because it's dice and it's tracks. Yes. And the thing is, I think the reason why it fell as much as it did is because I just haven't played it. Yeah. We, you know, we played it early on in the year and I may have busted it out one other time and it just it keeps getting put to the back burner. Uh-huh. But yeah, you roll some dice, you get some actions. You're able to move up these three tracks on your player board. It just it's a really interesting, fun game. I really enjoy this one. I like this one a lot. It's got a lot of decisions, a lot of movement. You're moving things around, going up tracks, but it's like a fairly shorter game. Like it's not a short game. It's not a light game, but it is it 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 feel I feel like it's about an hour, hour and a half. It doesn't feel too heavy. It's just that nice for me that right in that range that I like. Yeah. And the thing is, you you have so many dice that you can use. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can unlock additional dice. And I think a game I think a game deserves credit when you can win at a game and not unlock that die. And that's mm-hmm. what happened in a game in some of the games we've played. Yeah. That's and I cool. think that's yeah, I think that's a big I think that's a big thing. A lot of different paths to victory. That's yeah. uh Korra Rise of an Empire. All right, our number twenty eight is role player. So this comes in at seventy six for me, but twelve for Bob, which pushed it way up high. I love this game so much. It's really good. I like that it's dice manipulation. You roll the dice and you're building a D&D character and I was like, oh, whatever. But it's really fun because <laughs> it's really high, heavy strategy with the dice manipulation. Yeah, it's there's a it's so puzzly. Mm-hmm. It's such a puzzly game because you have to figure out, you know, where am I? Where am I putting this dis, this dice to do these objectives uh, that you're trying to hit on your card? And it just it's so good as far as that puzzle of where you're putting this dice. So it's drafting based on where the dice sit and you're just trying to meet these different objectives on these different cards that you're going to have on your board. I really enjoy it. Like the theme aside, I think even if you don't like the D and D theme as you, as you know, you don't No. I think this game is still good. Oh yeah. It's really good. I think people will still really enjoy it despite the fact that it, it you at could the end totally re theme really- it and then be exactly the same game. But the, the, it really does feel a lot of the elements of creating a character because you can make your character good or bad, you know, and, and the attributes you give them. And you want to 
what's neat is you don't always want the high dice. You want some of the middle dice or low dice because you want to try to get like this row to equal a certain number. Yep. It, it's really, really good. It's well designed. The way you draft the dice is important, you know, because you're thinking about color and pip value. And then you do some card drafting where you're taking these equipment ones. There's a couple expansions. I played one of them where you actually go out and battle people. I don't like that. I don't I could play without that. I'd rather play without it. But um, if that's your thing, you a lot of people like that part of it. You don't like that the monsters and minions? No. Hmm. I like the puzzliness, the puzzle of the game. Okay, fair enough. I like it despite its theme. It's that good. I don't even I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> despite its theme. Theme is good. The artwork's it works. good. The theme works. Like it comes across really well. Like I don't think you could actually throw on a different theme because it wouldn't really make a lot of sense. No, I don't think it I mean maybe you could figure out a different theme, but the theme well, works. Some of the change in the mechanics maybe, but yeah, it, it works yeah. and it's good. Yeah. I really like this game. If you want to bring a strategy player and a D&D player together, play role player. That is yeah. our number 28. All right, number 27, Battle Line. I love this game, and I finally talked to Bob this year, and it ended up on his top 100 yep. at 66. For me, it comes in at 22. I, I just, playing it this year with you and Jeremy, and I played it a few more other times, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just love this game so much. I forgot because I hadn't played it in years. It's a simple card game, two-player only. Uh, it's got... Uh, poker rules where the your hands um, have poker style rules where you know three of a kind is better than a, a, th- a run that type of thing and, uh, and um, a run is better than like all color a flush you know all the same colors a, a f- if it's a run is all the same colors better than n- not all the same colors you know it's all these those, those style rules you mm-hmm. play you play three cards in front of each of the different uh, one of nine flags um, and you just try to capture the flag by having the best hand in that uh, formation, they call it. And it's simple, but you only have so many cards in your hand. You only have seven cards and you have to play one and you don't have the card you want. So do you like create a new pile that's just going to be your junk pile? And then there's just a, there's so much strategy in this fairly simple game filled with tension. There's a lot of tension, the, a lot of back and forth tension sometimes you just you don't want to commit to anything so you're just trying to like quote unquote dirtle i've talked about that you know dirtling where you're just kind of like putzing around waiting for the other person to make their decision mm-hmm. it's a really good back and forth game i remember the first time i played it you whooped me and i was like because mm-hmm. you're you're like oh, well i can i know you can't win this because this card is no longer you know here or whatever that type of thing and i was like uh okay I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then we played it the first time and I got destroyed. Yeah. We played it a second time and I lost, but it was closer. And then I think the third time I finally won. And it's just that that progression of learning that back and forth tension about, you know, trying to set yourself up to capture as many as you can. Sometimes if you win, if you get like three in a row, that kind of thing, it's a mm-hmm. really good back and forth game. There's a lot of tension. I enjoy the ability to like learn and get better at the game as well. Mm-hmm. Really good game. Yeah, that's a great two-player game. That's our number 27, Battle Line. All right, number 26 is a classic. Everyone loves this game, Wingspan. Not everybody loves it, but it's it's really, It's really up popular. there, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's 26 for me and 50 for Bob. Uh, we love it quite a bit. I, I love the theme. This is really when what brought nature theme games. Um you know, to the forefront. 
and made them popular because Wingspan became so popular. It's this gorgeous artwork all about birds. There's nothing, there's no fantasy in it. There's no, you know, it's it's just a beautiful game with some pretty heavy strategy. Yeah, my my one my one gripe, and I said it when we reviewed it, is I think the last couple turns are scripted for you. You're going to just do the same thing a few times in a row to try to accumulate the points because it's the most amount of points. Mm-hmm. But the the journey to get to that point, you know, with the first few rounds and you get less and less actions as the game progresses. But because you do, you tend to be able to do more because you're activating the birds in the different rows. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's clever. I think it works well. Um, it's nice that it was as popular as it is because, like you said, it did it did show that you can have a game that's not medieval trading do mm-hmm. well, and people really are receptive to it. And that's one of those games that if it was a different theme, let's say if it was trading in the Mediterranean, it wouldn't have the same kind of love that people have for it. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been sold as much as it is, let's say, in Target or in Barnes & Noble because- This game is is, is about a mainstream game as you can get. Yeah, it's right up there with like Ticket to Ride. People know about it. buy it and play it. And it's not simple. It's harder than Ticket to Ride. But there's such a great setup where you can learn the game They've got recommendations like, okay, play with these bird cards as your starting hand. It yep. kind of walks you through your first few turns. It's it's really good, and I think it really changed the board gaming industry for the better, yeah. in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. All right, that's our number 26. Um, I love it. I think it's earned all of its uh, praise and accolades, and there's a reason why it's so popular. That's Wingspan. Mm-hmm. All right, number 25, Ankh, God of Egypt. I love this game. It's 24 for me. Bobby... You have it at 20 or 52. So it's right there. It's probably tied with Wingspan as far as points go. Yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah. I uh, This is my second favorite of Eric Lang's games. So I guess at this point, we haven't mentioned the favorite. So you know yeah. it's coming up. <laughs> it's you know? coming up. Uh, yeah. No <laughs> surprise. This so, is my third favorite. I like Yeah, I was going to say, because based, based on where it's sitting, with because uh, Rising Sun was what, seven? Rising for- Sun was seven for me. But it was like over 100 for you, so that's why it was so much higher yeah. up. I, I think the reason why I like Ankh as much as I do is because of how well it works at two-player. Mm-hmm. You know, dudes on the map game that two-player doesn't typically work. This game, it works, and it works well, and it's engaging. Mm-hmm. It's got you the know. best minis. It's got those giant minis in it, too. The minis are pretty sweet. The, the mini quality has definitely, like... Mm-hmm scaled up quite a bit through the course of the games although blood rages minis are i still think are really good but they're not, uh, they're not near as good as onk like onk is true. like just incredible the the fact that onk plays so well at two i think really mm-hmm. is what made it jump for me because i to have a game that plays that good at two i think is a is have a, a big heavy dudes on a map game yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah for sure like we played it two player and afterwards we we're like, we didn't, I don't think you and I expected it to play as well as it did at two that we were just, we were like, wow. Cause a lot of people, a lot of reviewers were just like, it plays good at two. And we were like, all right, well let's try it. And mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it, it was really definitely good. had a lot of strategy with what you do. Like every decision mattered, you know, you, you know, I'm not going to set Bob up for anything good, you know, try not to at least. And it, yeah, it was really good. Typically, two-player games that give a good tense push and pull is is usually what you're looking for, and this mm-hmm. game delivers that. That said, at a higher player count, I think we played it, what, once at like five? 
long, yeah. It was long, and then it it was it was kind of tough because I got screwed over because I wasn't actually able to take a an action before a a next battle was triggered because mm-hmm. just the way it was set up, like everyone had moved things and like progressed the token to the point where I literally didn't even have a turn before it hit again. Mm-hmm. which sucked because then I was just, I mean, I was SOL. There was no way I was coming back from that. I almost always like games at the lowest player count, lowest player count that they offer because I, they're just quicker. I like that. I have I, My turn comes up sooner. There's less downtime. You know, some games you need those extra players, and by all means, that's fine. But So it's nice to be able to play something like this quickly. Sure, yep. But still have that big epic feel. Mm-hmm. All right, that's our number 25 on Gods of Egypt. Number 24, Ark Nova. Um, this one's kind of similar here. 39 for me and 36 for you. We like this game quite a bit. Mm-hmm. This is a big, heavy, I think it, I could say it's heavy, uh, built a game about building a zoo. It is. Uh, it's been compared a lot to Terraforming Mars mm-hmm. um, with the scoring of Rajas of the Ganges. If the scoring wasn't the way it was, I probably would rank it higher because uh, that scoring is just something that I, I just struggle with. I've talked in length about that type of thing. But, <laughs> I uh, like scoring. Yeah, I know. Uh, a lot of people do, and a lot of people love Rajas, and that's fine. It just it doesn't quite click for me, which is fine. I still overall enjoy the game. I think, there's, I think the game's good. I think it has a lot of replayability. That deck is massive. Mm-hmm. I do like the fact that the artwork is consistent amongst all the cards, which is not the same thing you can say for something like Terraforming Mars. That said, I love Terraforming Mars more. Mm-hmm. So I like the I've, theme a little bit better just because I, I like that kind of sci-fi thing. But I like this theme quite a bit, although I, I like the theme of Terraforming Mars. I like the artwork in the zoo. I like that every time you play, you're going you're gonna to kind of develop a different strategy based on the cards you get. You know, it's it's a, one of those games um, similar to Wingspan and our and Terraforming Mars that has a large deck of cards and those cards will build off of each other and you need to, you need to play cards that will give you that will give you that will play well together. You know, that's how you're going to score. You can't just play cards, whatever cards you get and expect to do well because you won't. So yep. there's, you know, there's a lot there. That's, I think it's definitely a game with a learning curve. That is our number 24, Arc Nova. All right. Number 23 is Bob's favorite game of all time. <laughs> but for me, it comes in at 73. That's Great Western Trail. Uh, this is such a travesty that it's so low on this list. Uh, twenty. What is it? 20 what? What are we at? 23. Still pretty high up there. I, I like this game quite a bit. I think it's probably dropped because I played it with the last time I played it. It's been with Bob and he's so good at this game. It's like not fun at all. I man, I'm a little bummed out that it got down. I was wondering where it was gonna sit because I knew you didn't like it nearly as well as me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oh man, I was really hoping it would at least be in the teens. Yeah, it, it's a good game. I I can appreciate how it's a good fantastic. It is. I game. would be happy to play it with somebody who's played it as many times as me, which is like probably less than ten times. Um, and then Bob can play it with somebody who's played it over a hundred times, and then we'd both be happy. <laughs> I love this game. It just the way I like the theme, which is odd that this cattle ranching theme. I yeah. really enjoy the it's unique. The, yeah, it's it's different, which is cool. It has. Yeah, you just it's got a rondel. Every, the whole board is a rondel. Yeah, so. you just. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And then they're coming out with all Deck the building. new um, 
Great Western Trail variants like Argentina or whatever. Actually, surprisingly enough, at this past game night, um, uh, Chris and I ended up playing Star Wars Rebellion, but they actually had a, uh, one of the guys had a copy of the new Great Western Trail Argentina game that he had ordered, I think, from Canada in oh. order to get it. And I I really want to try those games and see what they do. So yeah. another friend of ours, Adine, who Great Western Trails is like in his top three, was telling me that knowing Great Western Trail doesn't mean you're going to know Argentina. Like you definitely still need a set. You need to learn how to play the game. Oh, good. Which I'll is good it that it's not just like a slight variant. So mm. it's a, and it's actually a, a different, unique game, which I'm excited about. I'm really excited to get that played. Yeah, I like the the theme a lot. Each of the cards have cows on them, and they're really cute. So. I like that it's a little different and you're, you're kind of building the board as you go. That is our number 23, Bob's favorite game of all time, Great Western Trail. All right, number 22 is another favorite of Bob's. Um, it's 37 for me and 33 for Bob. He taught me the game and now I like it quite a bit as well. That's Underwater Cities. Bob, what do you love about this game? The I really like the action economy of... So you have a set of cards in your hand. You have three cards. Mm-hmm. And you're able to place work. They're workers, but they're like these little, you know, tile pieces or whatever. And you set them out on the board, and you're hoping to match the color of the action that you're doing to the color of the, in your in your hand, because then you're able to do the action of the card in your hand as well as the action on the board. Mm-hmm. So it's you're always wondering based on what you have in your hand. You're always thinking like, which action do I want to take? Like, I really want to take this action, but I don't have that kind of card in my hand. Is it worth it to me to take that action and not get a secondary action from my hand? Or do I just take something that's less lucrative for me in order to match the action with what's in my hand? And it's it's, it's such an interesting game that way. Resources are really tight. You're always searching for that extra credit, always searching for that extra kelp. You know, so it, it's a very the spots are really tight. Like there's only one spot to go to to do that type of action. Somebody always takes it. Yep. It's really tight and it plays very different because in the beginning of the game, you have just a few resources and you kind of have to make do with what you got. And then then at the end of the round, you produce again or not the end of the round, like you do a few different rounds and then you produce. So it just feels very different than a lot of other games. Agreed. Yeah, 100 percent. So, yeah, it's 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 up there for a Suchi game. It's not my favorite. That's up there. Yeah, that's number 22, Underwater Cities. All right, number 21 is Isle of Cats. This comes in at 20 for me and 46 for Bob. I love this game. This one just immediately, the first time I played it, I was like, I love it. It's a cat theme, polyomino game with drafting. I was going to say, it's a drafting polyomino game. Sign me up. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. The only thing yeah. you're missing, tracks. That's yeah, what you- no, there's no tracks, but that's okay. <laughs> You had tracks. I'm all in. You're trying to rescue cats off this island and get them on your boat. But what I like about this game is it's not it's not really all about trying to fill your whole boat up with cats. Like, yeah, that could be your goal. And and that'd be great if you could do it. But there's a lot of different ways to score with the drafting. You can draft different scoring cards. And and I won one time by just having a ton of those cards. My board was hard, was empty. I took a ton of negative points, but I had so many ways to score points. I, I really like it. I've been playing a lot with my son. We play the family version where there's no drafting. You just get a couple objective cards. Um, it's it's good. You know, it's not near as good as the regular game, but it, it, it I enjoy it more than most kids' games. Yeah, I 
the drafting really is intriguing. You'll never fill up your entire boat, so don't. I wouldn't go into it thinking that you can. You have to manage your baskets because baskets allow you to get things, but then uh, get the cats. But the cats cost fish, so you want to make sure you have your a good fish economy going that you're not overspending. You know, fish and it just everything about it comes together really well. I really enjoy this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, just overall the drafting portion of things with the polyomino piece. I wish I was better at it. That would be my only thing. I just haven't learned how to play the game well. I think that's why it's so high for me because I do so well with this game. I like you're it right. a lot. Cause well, if I'm you're going to win it. a game, you're probably going to like it more, right? That's like I, a I think thing. That's true. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be that type of person, but usually, usually you like it because you get it. And if you get it, you win it. You know? Yeah. There's a little bit of that there. Agreed. All right. That is our number 21, Isle of Cats. Next week we do... 20 through 11 we're getting so close yeah two more weeks and we're we're through our top 100 games the board game shenanigans top 100 games of all time it's pretty exciting it's been a fun journey that's for sure all right that's our show for this week thanks for listening to our shenanigans join us next week where we're gonna get 20 through nine uh through 11 uh, leave us a review and check us out on instagram or facebook send us your questions or comments to board game shenanigans at gmail.com have a great week everyone happy holidays and we'll see you next week